Um, so this morning we're going to be, at, we're the second to last week in our Understanding Church series, and we're going to be covering something that really centers our whole fellowship together as a church, and that's worship. Um, this is one of those areas where uh, a lot of us have a lot of ideas, a lot of preferences, uh, a lot of wants, um, but I don't know how often I go to the Bible and ask, okay, God, when it comes to worship, what do you want? Um, this is a really important area of our lives because uh, most of us have those, I call them spiritual tethers, where we, we needed a song, we needed a scripture, we needed a sermon in a certain moment in our lives, and that tied us to the faithfulness of God. And because of that tie that we got in that moment when we needed it, now we have a preference. I need that, I really like that song because that's the song that really gave me the gospel the first time. I really uh, need that song because that was the song that we sang at our wedding. That's a song that I, I needed when my mom got cancer. So we all have these spiritual tethers that tie us to God's faithfulness, remind us of God's faithfulness, and those end up being the things that we really like. Um, and so before we get into scripture, we're going to have a lot of scripture this morning. Um, it's kind of like a shotgun method to it. It's just going to have a lot of different areas in scripture. Um, but would you guys pray with me before we start? God, we thank you that you are a God that invites us in. You invite us to worship. And you don't prescribe it one way. You're a God that loves our individuality. You're a God who created our individuality, our tastes, our loves, and our desires. God, you, um, you love us the way that you created us. And so, God, as we dive into Scripture this morning to figure out what it is that you desire for worship, God, I just pray that you would open up our hearts to you, to you and, and open up, um, open up our our minds to what it is that worship could be. Um, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so hopefully you grabbed a fill-in-the-blank sheet um, this morning for our notes. Got a bunch of different notes or blanks in there. And we're going to be talking about three things that uh, I dove into Scripture and three things that matter when it comes to worship. Uh, and the first one may surprise you, it's age of music. Age of music matters. Um, and some of you, like already, you're like, <gasps> age of music, we got the youth pastor up there, he's going to say that contemporary music is the best. Um, I actually want to start with a story, um, and it was two and a half years ago in the middle of July, so maybe my math's off on the years, but in July... Uh, it was about 98 degrees, and I was in a church smaller than this room with no air conditioning and no bathroom in the middle of nowhere next to a lake um, in Pella, Iowa. So this church had become more museum than an actual church, and the reason there was no air conditioning is because it was a museum and they weren't allowed to make any changes to the building, and the reason why there wasn't a bathroom was because there was an outhouse that was no longer functioning. Um, so there's a fun story about the first time I visited and needed to go to the bathroom, but we can save that one for later. Um, but they had contacted me because the guy that was previously doing 
their services had fallen ill, and they needed somebody to preach on Sunday mornings, and I said, why not? This will be a good opportunity to practice preaching, and I kind of assumed that that was all I was going to get out of it, was just really good practice for preaching. I would preach for the last month and a half of the summer, and then the next summer I'd come back and preach two months, and um, I really thought that that was about it. They handed me a hymnal, I'm not kidding you, that was 100 years old, and I was like, whoo, this is full of songs I don't know, full of language I don't speak, and how am I supposed to, and, and it was my job to pick songs. So um, I would just kind of, what was really awesome about this one is it had like themes in the back as kind of like a directory, so it was like a beat song or, you know, wedding songs, and so I was able to kind of just pick through, and um, I, didn't really, I didn't really think I was going to worship at that church, uh, but what I found out was that over the course of the summer is that I actually encountered God at that church quite a bit. Um, it was a transient community next to an RV park, and so when the church bell would ring kind of like Quasimodo, they'd have somebody ring the bell, and they would hear it, and they'd come, and no more than like 10 or 20 people every Sunday, and when they would show up, I would find that a song that I picked that I didn't know anything about, um, a message preached to people I didn't know, um, would actually be really impactful for them. There was story after story of somebody say, I haven't been to church in 30 years, uh, but I heard the bell this morning and thought, why not? So they showed up and they got a song, they got a message that they needed probably 20 years ago. And, and that was something that really surprised me because I had assumed, well, if I just went to the megachurch uh, in Pella, which is where I was living at the time, if I just went to the megachurch, I would feel the presence of God more because that was more my style, that was more my music. But as I engaged with people, I realized God's here, and I'm worshiping. I'm actually worshiping here. Um, now, so that's one part of the story. The other part of the story is I couldn't drag a single coworker with me to that church. I, I was a camp counselor at the time, working with college stu- working alongside of other college students, and I couldn't drag a single one of them there. Um, it's kind of a tough sell for a college student. Hey, we're going to sing songs that are 60 to 70 years old in a church that's smaller than the house you live in, with no air conditioning, no bathroom, in the middle of July. It's kind of a tough sell. Um, but uh, I did get one or two to show up every once in a while. But, I mean, when you have a gigantic church with air conditioning and bathrooms, it's kind of hard to get them there. Um, but that's one of those things that was really impactful for me when it came to my understanding of worship is that um, age of music does matter, and it matters uh, greatly. So the first uh, point underneath age of music matters is that amputation of the past is, is not the goal. Amputation of the past is not the goal. And what I mean by that is that our faith gets handed down from us, or to us. Uh, whether that we look all the way back to like Peter and Paul in the New Testament, or we look to people like St. Augustine, or we look to somebody like Jim Blair, or uh, the elders that we have here, our faith gets handed down to us from generation to generation. What they have done before us matters. And, and that we don't want to cut ourselves off from that rich history. 
there is no doubt in my mind that our salt and pepper saints here have story after story after story of God's faithfulness in their life and how much we could learn from that, how much we could learn from the songs that they have from those moments when somebody got cancer or a child was born or we don't want to amputate from the past. And I think this is a, 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 an area of our lives where we see it in Scripture a lot, um, but we're really quick sometimes to see th- something in Scripture and go, well, I don't know about that. So if you want to open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Um, so this is obviously after God has taken the Israelites out of captivity uh, in Egypt and has got them to a place where they're uh, doing a lot better. And God says this one word a lot in Scripture. He says, remember. He says, remember a lot. Um, He tells the Israelites over and over again, when they fail, when they stumble, hey, remember what I've done for you. Remember that I took you out of Israel. Remember that I took you out of Babylon. Remember I took you out of captivity. And so in verse 2 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says this, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order, that, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And, and so there's other passages I could have picked where God says, hey, remember, remember. Something that's interesting that I find in Jewish tradition is that when it comes to the festivals that they have, and when it comes to the liturgy that they say, they say that it was them that was in, wild, in the wilderness. They say that it was them that was captive, even though they're two, three, four thousand years away from that slavery, away from that captivity, they own that as their own. They say, remember when God took us out of Egypt. Remember when God took us through the wilderness. And so there is something that we need to to hold on to there is that God works in history, and God wants us to remember our history. And and as a congregation, those who are salt and pepper saints or seasoned saints, those people are part of our history. And we can't just get rid of that. We can't just cut it off and say, you know what? Nothing bad is going to happen if we just get rid of all of the songs that they hold dear. Nothing bad is going to happen if we just get rid of all of that. And so... um, when I think about my time at Coal Ridge, which was that church with no bathroom and no air conditioning, I had to sacrifice my preferences to be there, okay? And, and for somebody that, who loves contemporary music, it's a pretty big deal. I think when we sacrifice our preferences in music, that, that cuts us in a certain way. And like, man, I just would love to have a guitar at Coal Ridge, but no, it's, it's organ and piano. And so... That's what, that's what we worshiped with, and that's what we did. And, uh, and for me, it was part of learning the history of faith from the people that were already there and how enriching and how powerful that was to know that God was still working through people and through people that I was like, man, I, I don't want to sing this music, but the history that these people have with these songs empower me and in my faith. The second part of Age of Music Matters is that white noise to the present is not the goal, okay? So we have amputation of the past is not the goal, and white noise to the present is not the goal, okay? 
And that's where it comes into my friends that I worked with, and they say, ah, I'm not going there. It's not music I like. It's not, I don't use a lot of thou's and these and cleanseths. Um, and, and so I don't want to go to that song, church and sing songs that make no sense to me. Um, and so for them, they couldn't, I couldn't even get them in the door. I couldn't even get them in my car so I could kidnap them to the church. Um, and, and so, because it was white noise. Um, and I think a, a lot of times we, we kind of have a spectrum. Uh, there's people that are younger or more like me where it's like, yes, new music, awesome. I can't wait to get the next worship music and just put it into service. And then there's people who are like, well, these songs are really good and they've been working for us. So why would we change them, right? And so there's this tension. Um, and when I say white noise to the, future, to the present, um, I don't say that just because, like, oh, man, I really like songs that are new, so I'm going to put that point in there. Um, it's actually something I find, found in Scripture. So I got two psalms for you. The first one is Psalm 96, verse 1. And, and this is a psalm that David writes, and he's, he's commanding us in this to, to sing a new song. And then Psalm 40, we're going to go to right after this. So in Psalm 96, verse 1, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. See, David is, we're told that he is a man that's after God's own heart. And I'm sure David had a rich history of songs that uh, he had to sing, but he is commanding his people, he's commanding himself to sing a new song to God. And even goes farther than this. So if we go to verse, uh, Psalm 40, verse 3, and this is one that really surprised me when I was looking through this. Psalm 40, verse 3. David even says that God puts a new song in his mouth, which is, I'm not musical, so God's never put a new song in my mouth other than through somebody else telling me, hey, this is a new song, let's sing it. And I'm like, okay. Um, but imagine if somebody's a musician or they write music, that there's that feeling of like, oh, God's put a new song in my mouth. And so God, uh, David says this, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our, Lord, to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And so David's like, God, I, I was in this situation of my life. I, there was stuff going on, and then God showed up and put a new song in my, in my mouth. And the crazy thing is, is through that new song, he says, people will come to fear and will see the Lord, and they'll put their trust in him. So what he's talking about there is God gives them a new song, and because of the new song, there are people that come to God, okay? And, and so that's what we're talking about when we say we don't want to be white noise to the present uh, because there are people, language evolves over time, okay? Um, even I'm 25, and the, the slang that's used in high school looks nothing like the slang that I used in high school. Um, the slang that's even used in college, it looks nothing like. I, when I worked at uh, Lakeview Camp, we would have... Um, Angel Tree camps that kids would come for free from 
families that had a parent in prison, or in some cases, both parents in prison, and they would come for free. And I just remember having so many conversations, sitting uh, on the side of the pool with the guys that didn't want to swim, and like, hey, so what's the slang that's going around? Like, what, can you teach me? And so they would teach me all these different things. Uh, one of my favorite stories from camp is that uh, I was in a cabin with some middle school boys, and uh, one boy was being particularly annoying to another kid. And um, everything gets solved with violence, right? That's, that's the best way to do it. Um, no, I'm kidding. And, and so we had this one kid, and I'm not kidding you, he was like this tall, like a seventh grader. And then I had another seventh grader that was this tall, somewhere around there. And naturally, the smaller one is the instigator because he'll get protected. And so he's instigating, he's instigating, and this, the, the taller one just blows up. And he starts saying, I'm going to crease him. I'm going to crease him. And I'm like, what in the world? Yeah, Jim, yeah. What in the world is going on? And I was like, trying to keep them separated while he's saying words I didn't even know. I was like, well, time out. Okay, so can you... <laughs> I know this is a really heated moment, but I need to know if, like, creesome means you're going to kill him, like, you're going to stab him. Like, I need to know what to prepare for from this side of the room. <laughs> and so he goes, you know, creesome. And I'm like, no, I don't know. That's why I asked. And he goes, you know, when you take fo- clothes and you fold them over, you crease them. And I was like oh, so you want to punch him in the gut and fold him over. He's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, we can't do that, bro. Like, that's, <laughs> it's not going to work. Um, and so that's part of this, like, we don't want to amputate from the past, so we don't want to get rid of the words and the meaning that we have from our history, but we also don't want to, like, be in that situation where it's like, I don't know what's going on because I don't understand this word. I don't understand this language. And, and so we do this in our own lives when it comes to language, And so what I see in Scripture is that God's saying, hey, I have new songs for you. I have new words. I have new language for you when it comes to worship. So um, another example of how this works is how many of you have CFL light bulbs in your house, the the squiggly ones, right? So when I was growing up, those kind of came out, and it was like, hey, go get the squiggly light bulbs. And it was, then you have your traditional light bulbs and your squiggly light bulbs. And some people prefer the traditional ones because they have a softer, warmer light. Some of them prefer the squiggly ones because they're brighter, they save energy, they're more cost-effective. Um, but the point is, both of them still produce light. They still produce light. And so um, that's our main focus when it comes to music, is that does it produce light? Does it produce truth? Um, and So age of music matters in so much as we want to communicate the gospel to the people who our faith is built on, but also to the people we want to bring to faith. Um, So CFL light bulbs, traditional light bulbs, they still produce light. Um, It's just a matter of preference, okay? So as we continue, second point uh, is that consistency matters to God. Um, This one's pretty easy to illustrate um, I, want to think, I want you to think about your car or the car that you gave your teenager when they first started driving. Were you like, you know what, I just want to give them the crappiest car that I can give them that just sputters 
at every stop sign that won't start so that I have to drive to the school to pick them up every time. Like, the point of giving your teenager a car is so that you don't have to drive them to school. Um, and so you don't have to drive them to sporting events and drive them to dates, which is, I imagine is awkward for parents. Um, it was awkward for me as a kid, but I imagine for parents it's especially awkward. Um, no, you want to give them a consistent car, a reliable car, a car that's going to start when they go and turn the key, or your spouse. You want to give them a car that, you know what, I can trust that if I give this car to my wife that she's going to be safe and the car is going to, be cons- it's going to perform consistently. The cars that don't perform consistently, we call them lemons, and we typically try to get rid of them as fast as possible. Uh, I remember a car, a truck that my dad bought when I was, I think I was in middle school, and it was a black Chevy S10, and it had like stripes on the side of it. It looked really cool. I don't know. I was, any car looked cool when I was a kid, and it just, we thought, we bought it from the dealer, used, and we're like, yes, this is a sweet car, and it just was the biggest hunk of junk. It, we were constantly getting it fixed, and it just did not, we got rid of it as fast as we could, uh, and ended up getting a red Chevy pickup. And so um, some of you are like, well, that's because you bought a Chevy, but um, <laughs> we'll go beyond that. So for consistency, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Some of you know this passage. This is called the Shema. Um, this is actually a prayer that um, uh, those who are Jewish, they'll say this three or four times a day. Um, it's a prayer that I had to learn when I learned Hebrew, um, I learned it in a song, and no, I'm not going to sing it for you. Um, so here's what the Shema is, this passage, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give, to you, give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is a passage about consistent worship. This is a passage where God says, hey, when you sit down, talk about it. When you're with your kids, talk about it. When you're on the path, talk about it. Hey, in case you forget about it, tie it on your hands. And, and if that doesn't do it, tie it on your forehead. And if that doesn't do it, write it on your doorpost of your house. And also, if that doesn't work, write it on the gates of your city. This is about consistency when it comes to our devotion and consistency to our worship. And so for some of us, the challenge is consistency in showing up on a Sunday morning. Like, man, I, once a month, I'm good. I'm, once a month, that's awesome. But God's like, I need a little bit more from, from you. I need a little more consistency. For some of us, it's like, I'm here on every Sunday. But God's like, well, where am I Monday through Saturday? Or Monday through Sunday at 928 uh, as you walk in? Um, and so God's calling us for consistent worship, consistent worship and showing up to this, consistent worship to showing up on Monday morning uh, when you don't want to wake up the extra 30 minutes to pray and read your Bible. Um, God's calling us to a consistent lifestyle of 
worship. And um, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. Another way that consistency works is that when you show up here, you normally know what you're going to get. Um, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is when Paul is talking about tongues and speaking them and how worship shouldn't be this big chaotic thing that we should be able to understand you. Um, so imagine if I just got up here and started speaking Spanish or started speaking uh, German or French you guys would just be staring at me, maybe a little bit the way you are right now, um, but maybe a little bit more perplexed, like, um, why did Matt think this was a good idea um, to put Vince up there speaking German? Uh, I don't know German, by the way. Uh, but there's a consistency to worship, uh, and there's a consistency to the way that we structure it and the way that we do it. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and they have chaos in worship. Some of you are like, man, we do new things once every three weeks, and that seems chaotic to me. Uh, you def the church in Corinth was definitely not for you then, because it was super chaotic. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, Paul writes this. This is kind of the sum summing up the whole chapter of on worship. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all congregations of the Lord. And so we know that this isn't just something for the Corinthians to, to hold on to. This is something for all of us because it says all congregations. And so we want to be consistent in how we present things and consistent in how we order things. And that's why um, we hold on to uh, the number of songs we do at the beginning, the announcements, the, the uh, offering, and, and when everything is, we hold on to that because we don't want you to show up and be like, I don't know where everything is. And, and we want to keep the, the seats the way they are. We don't want to move them around and just kind of have them haphazard. Um, Bob would be really mad at us if we did that. Um, he's got a whole chart and a measuring stick, and it's, it's pretty fantastic. It's his ministry. And so we wouldn't want to just come in on a Sunday morning with chairs like up here and some in the balcony and just kind of all over the place. We want to have consistency when we show up to worship. Same thing with our car. We want a consistent, reliable car that when we get in it, we know what it's about, okay? Um, and that makes it a lot easier to invite people. Imagine if you're trying to invite somebody to a church and you say, hey, this is what we do. Uh, this is kind of the structure of things. And then you show up and it's like, I don't even recognize this church. Like we have people in the corner and just break dancing, I don't know. Um, but consistency matters. It matters when we invite people. It, it matters for our own sanity when it comes to worship. Um, that's why typically on uh, those special days like um, Easter and Thanksgiving when it falls on it and Christmas Eve when it falls on it, we try to keep things pretty much the same. Because the last thing we, we would want to do is like do this big blowout, like special service on a Sunday morning and then have somebody be like, wow, that's the church I want to go to. And then show up next Sunday and be like, wow, where did that church go that I wanted to go to? Um, we don't want to be like that. So consistency matters. And worship is uh, constant. That's the point under that. It's kind of redundant. I don't know why I did that. Um, third point is that authenticity matters when it comes to worship. Authenticity matters. 
So I want you to think about Dr. Pepper, okay, when it comes to authenticity. Uh, what are some of the best knockoff names of Dr. Pepper that you've heard? Like, I'll call on somebody if you have any. Like, the one that I always go to is Dr. Thunder, right? Or um, Dr. Pibb is pretty similar to Dr. Pepper. Um, what? Mr. Pibb, my bad. Um, there are, like, we could do this with Mountain Dew. We could do this with, like, Coca-Cola. We, there are so many knockoffs of the things that we, like, Doritos. Oh, my. Confession. I don't, I'm not a name brand guy, but when it comes to Doritos, I got to have Doritos. I can't have, like, Fairway nacho cheese tortilla chips. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, but authenticity matters. Um, and so we see this in John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. And this is where um, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well who has had a bunch of husbands and had a bunch of not husbands. And they're having this conversation. And we're just going to take a snippet out of it. Um, and Jesus, I always love the way that sometimes we translate things. Um, the NIV starts with woman. Like, that's just, if that's not evidence that language changes, I don't know. I, try saying that to woman. Yeah, Rand's shaking her head no. Like, that's not a way to start a sentence. But Jesus starts it that way. So, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and ha has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So this is pretty simple for the people that know Blessed Hope's history. All right. Um, for those of us that are new to Blessed Hope, Hope's history, this might be a little strange. Um, style and location are not signs of true worship. Okay? And, and for those who know Blessed Hope's history, uh, the first meeting of Blessed Hope, I, it wasn't a church at that point, but the first meeting of Blessed Hope was in Rogers Park. And you guys have also worshipped at um, the Braille School. And I think you guys worshipped at the Tilford. And, and so... And now we're here, all those years later. And so what those people early on realized, and I don't know if it was a conscious thing, but that location did not determine the quality of worship. That location didn't determine if we could worship. Um, because if we think back into Jesus' day when he's saying this, is there were very specific locations for worship, and you couldn't worship anywhere else. There were very specific locations for sacrifice, and you couldn't sacrifice anywhere else. There's actually... Um, Stories in the Old Testament, uh, Saul, King Saul is one of those where he like, gets impatient for the prophet to show up in town uh, to do a sacrifice to God. And he's like, you know what? I'm tired of waiting. We're just going to sacrifice these animals now. So let's set up the altar and let's slaughter them. And he does that. And then God's like, um, yeah, this is the final straw. You're not going to be king anymore. David's going to be king. Sorry. Um, and so there's a specific way that things were supposed to be done. But now when Jesus enters the world, he like busts the gate wide open. And we can worship wherever, whenever we want. Okay? 
but don't get that confused. We still have a, uh, a consistency to our worship. So it's not like, hey, this Sunday we worship here. Uh, next Sunday we're going to go uh, down to the river, uh, that little park down there. We're going to worship there. And then the week after that, we're going to go uh, worship in Tyson's. We're just going to take Tyson's over. And then after that, we're going to go, uh, we're actually going to take over another church after that. And we're going to go to First Baptist and we're going to take over that church. There's consistency uh, to the location, but the location does not determine the worship, okay? And, and what I really want us to get at home here is that Jesus says, in, in the spirit and in truth. And that's kind of what ties everything together when it comes to um, age of music, when it comes to uh, consistency, is that what really matters when it comes to worship is that we're in the spirit, which means we're Christians, we love God. It's kind of hard to worship God if you're not uh, a Christian or if you're not in love with God. Um, and so we love God, we're in the spirit, and we're also worshiping in truth. We're not saying untrue things when we come to worship. We're not singing untrue songs when it comes to the songs we sing. And there are tr songs that we could find in a hymnal or that we could find uh, on Christian radio where we'd go, oh, I don't know if we should sing that one on a Sunday morning. It's not... It's not super wrong, but it's definitely not super right. Uh, and so we want to be authentic. Uh, the way I like to think about this is that God wants us to come in to worship with our Dr. Pepper hearts and not our Dr. Thunder hearts. Um, he wants us to say, hey, when you come to worship, we're going to Dr. Pepper it, all right? We're not going to Dr. Thunder it because when you Dr. Thunder it, you're being inauthentic, and that's not worship, okay? And so the last... Um, couple of points I have is if worship is about you, if you're like, when I come into worship, I want it to be all about me. I want to sing the songs that I want to sing. I want to have, um, I, I don't know, I want the, the national flags that I like. So if I'm a German immigrant, we need to put the German flag in there. Um, if it's all about me, then spirit, private spiritual starvation leads to public spiritual irritation, okay? Say that one more time. Private spiritual starvation leads to public spiritual irritation. And by that I mean, um, here's a quick illustration. If you were a vegan, I know we don't probably have very many of those in the Midwest, uh, especially in a town our size, um, but if you were a vegan and you don't eat any animal products and you don't eat for five days, all right, and it's Saturday, and you're going out with your friends, and you show up to the restaurant, and you're like, I have not eaten for five days. I'm coming out to eat with my friends, and then you open the menu, right, and there's no vegan options. You're going to become publicly irritated because you have been privately starving. You're going to close the menu. You're going to be like, I can't believe you don't have any vegan options, blah, 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 blah. Or for those of us that actually do like food and like the way things taste, um, a better example would be if you were just like strictly on a pepperoni pizza diet, probably not good for you, but if you were like, it's got to be pepperoni pizza all the time, every time, and you don't have pepperoni pizza, you don't eat anything for like two days, and you show up to Pizza Ranch, and they're like, yeah, so the, the pepperoni pizza truck didn't show up this week, so uh, all we got is sausage. And you're like, this is not acceptable, and you start flipping tables like Jesus in the temple. And, um, but the point is, like, we need to be 
nourishing ourselves privately, and that's the consistency that I was talking about earlier, is that if we're not consistent, consistently worshiping in our homes with the music that we prefer, um, I tell you, there, we sing songs even downstairs and, and up here that I'm like, man, not my favorite, but um, when I'm here during the week, when I'm doing other things, I'm singing songs that I prefer, songs that I really like. And so when I show up on a Sunday morning, it's like, you know what? I, I've been fed. I've been filled. I don't need necessarily the songs that I enjoy to feel like ah, I had a really good worship experience because I've been worshiping all week. Here's the last point. If worship is about God's kingdom, sacrificing my preferences is missional. Sacrificing my preferences is missional. I think sometimes we get, um, it's not an incorrect idea, but it's an incomplete idea about what missions is. Sometimes we think, well, I got to go to Haiti, which is great. We have a mission trip going to Haiti this summer, or I've got to go to South Texas, or I got to go to Mexico, or I need to go, I need to go somewhere else to be on mission, or my, my missional experience is going to be three days at the beginning of June for faith in action. That's what missions is. But not all of us can, are, one, able to do that. Not all of us can afford to do that. Uh, and it's incomplete. This, part of this is our mission field. When we show up and we say, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my preferences. I'm going to sacrifice those so that people can hear the gospel that maybe otherwise wouldn't if it was the way that I wanted it to be. Okay? And this cuts both ways. So don't, don't think that this is just like a contemporary worship versus a traditional worship. If we were in a town that was like hardcore, all traditional, all the time, and those were the people we were trying to reach, I would have to sacrifice my preferences. Many of you guys would have to sacrifice your preferences, and that would be being on mission for God. And to illustrate this, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 9 through 12. And again, this is Paul dealing with speaking in tongues. Um, and so he's got people that just show up and they're like, I'm going to speak in tongues today and there's nobody to interpret, interpret it and it's just chaos. And, and Paul says this, verse 9 through uh, 12 in chapter 14. He says, So it is with you, unless you speak intelligibly, intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into, into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager, uh, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, Try to excel in those that build up the church, okay? And Paul's like, hey, you guys have these great gifts in speaking different languages and speaking in tongues. You have these great gifts in all these other areas, but the whole goal is to build up the church. And so that's the consistency, that's the authenticity, that's the age of music, all of that mattering at the same time. So Rob is really good at playing guitar, but like when I... When Matt or I get up here to preach, we don't want Rob just like shredding 
uh, on electric guitar in the back, just like, I am gifted by God. Uh, many of you have other gifts that would equally be as disturbing and unproductive for worship. And so we say that if it builds up the church, if it's missional, let us plug it into what we're doing so that we can build up the church, so that we can be on mission, so that we can save people for God. So age of music matters in the same way that we don't want to amputate the past, we don't want to be white noise to the present. Consistency matters. We need to be here. We need to be worshiping every day of our lives. Authenticity matters. Don't show up with your Dr. Thunder heart when God's calling you for a Dr. Pepper heart, okay? And if worship is about you, you're going to be irritated when things aren't the way you want them. But if worship's not about you, then sacrificing your preferences is missional. So you pray with me. God, we thank you that you are a God who loves worship. You love songs. You love instruments. You, you love when we do our best for you in worship. And God, we get so confused and um, clouded at times with those songs and those preferences that tied us to your faithfulness throughout our, our own personal history. God, I just pray that as we start to understand who you are and what you desire in worship, that we could come to worship with open hands, not trying to hold on to the things that we prefer, but saying, this is my mission field. I'm going to walk through the doors when I have a good attitude about songs that maybe I don't like that much, but I know that somebody in this room needs it. Somebody in this room needs to hear the words. I played over music that's just this certain way. God, would you help us all to sacrifice our preferences when it comes to worshiping you? And it's in your name we pray, amen.